As you know, as you've seen already, um, over this last week in partnership with St Wilfred's Church, um, we've been running the Noise Project. And um, as Duncan, the project coordinator, was very keen to point out to me earlier this week, it was four days of the Noise Project and one community initiative. He was very keen that I understood it was four and one. He kept, kept on about this, foot, something to do with football and Chelsea and four and one. I don't really know what he was on about, to be fair. But anyway, um, he's, he's been sending me over the course of the, uh, the week um, some of the good news uh, quotes, if you like, from people who've been part of the noise and who've been uh, very appreciative of what we've been doing. As Andy said already, and you've picked up from the video, it was a... Um, a week of collecting rubbish, not just collecting it, but also taking it away, um, of praying with people, and yesterday in that fantastic sunshine, um, sharing a fun day with all sorts of activities and free food. Why have we done all of this? Why, why have we put all of this uh, effort in? Because we want to be good news to our local community. And here's what some of our residents have said. <clears throat> I really appreciate the work you guys do, and yes, I'll be going on Saturday as it's my first year here, so looking forward to it. Thank you, that was a Duncan Road resident. Thank you for collecting rubbish. Once again, thank you. That was a, a disabled resident from Parkins Road. A massive thank you to the team that helped me today. Thank you so much. Not sure if I got the length of the so quite right there. But that was from a lady whose dad was going to take a two-seater sofa down to the tip and then he did his back in. So she was in a bit of a pickle and she was so grateful that we were able to help. Thank you to the Noise Project for collecting my garden rubbish yesterday. I'm truly grateful also to find we have a family of slow worms. Even nature benefits. I mean, we benefit from nature uh, over the course of the Noise Project. Thank you so much to The Noise Project today for your help with taking away my old bikes and wooden unit, etc. You really are all amazing, much appreciated. Thank you to The Noise Project for an awesome day. I suspect that was the same person as the previous quote on the other slide, that kind of three purple hearts may give it away, I'm not sure. And then very happy little mister winning this at the fun day. Thank you to The Noise Project for a lovely day. So they want to thank us, they want to thank us as uh, a church, and we want to thank Duncan and the team, extensive team of volunteers who've made the noise a possibility this week. Uh, too many people to name individually. But at the bottom line, we have been good news to the people of Parklands. And we've run the noise project for a number of years now, and it sprang out of a vision from organisations like Spring Harvest and projects like Hope 08, those of you who have been around long enough to remember that. And the aim of those things was to share the good news of Jesus in word and action. Speaking about Hope 08, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr. Rowan Williams, as he was then, said, Christ well, he's always been Dr. Rowan Williams, you understand? He was Archbishop of Canterbury then. <laughs> he said, Christians have to learn how to give an absolutely clear answer to the question, why is this good news? Why is it good news? I mean, it's clear why the action bits are good news, isn't it? It's clear why the action bits are good news, but if it's good news in word and action, what's good news about the message? 
And that's what I wanted to think about this morning. And I'm just going to narrow in on um, pretty much the last verse that Ian read to us from that passage in Romans. You might remember him reading these words. And bear in mind that gospel means good news. This is what he read at the end of Romans 1. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So why is the good news good news? Well, Paul gives us three reasons. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The good news is good news because the gospel is the power of God. And it needs to be powerful because the Bible says that we're in the grip of three problems, all of which result from one source problem, choosing our own way instead of God's way. In no particular order, the first problem is the problem of our habits. We can't help it, but we keep on doing things that really we wish we wouldn't do. Things that we know are not good for us, things that we know are not good for other people. There's something present inside of us that prevents us from being the people that we want to be. And we have little breakthroughs, but we know that deep down, There's something that's to do with our nature that prevents us from being the people that we want to be. That's problem number one. Problem number two is the problem of death. The Bible says death is ultimately the product of our original wrong choices. Benjamin Franklin said, in this world nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. But we know he was wrong, don't we? Because people can avoid taxes. But we can't avoid the sad reality of death. And then a third problem is the problem of justice. Our God is a loving God, but he's also a just and fair God, and he can't turn a blind eye to wrong. And our problem is that we're all lawbreakers. And breaking the law leads to a penalty. And a God of justice can't turn a blind eye to that. We could call this trio of problems the power of sin's presence, the power of sin's product, and the power of sin's penalty. And we are helplessly in the grip of all three. All three are beyond our ability to overcome ourselves. But... This is what Paul says in Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is a power outside of ourselves, a power from a pure and holy source, a power that is greater than all three problems combined. A man inherited a plot of land at the foot of some hills which appeared to be worthless. The land was dry and parched. It wasn't fit for agriculture. And even to get water for his personal needs. He had to walk a mile with a bucket to a well and then bring it back again. His neighbours who lived a mile away were surly and not really up for being very much engaged. And after a few weeks he was coming to the view that this was probably a lost cause. But he decided to go for a walk 
up in the hills and just settle the issue once for all in his mind and decide what he was going to do. So that's what he did. He walked up into the hills. And he walked to a place that he hadn't been to before and there he found a cave. And he went into the cave and he discovered to his amazement a stream within the cave which had been covered in rocks from what appeared to be a landslide some years ago. And so he started moving the rocks one by one. And as he did so, the stream started to flow in its original direction, down the hill and towards his property. And that stream changed everything. It made living in that place possible. It made the cultivation of his land possible. It improved the relations with his neighbors because he said, come and share, come and share in this stream that I've discovered. All of these big intractable problems were solved by the discovery of this one pure, powerful source of water. And that is what the gospel is like. A pure, holy, powerful source big enough for all of our problems. The power of the gospel. And this power is for a purpose. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So the good news is good news because the gospel's purpose is salvation. Salvation means to rescue, to deliver from something. So first of all, the gospel rescues us from the power of sin's presence. It doesn't take sin away, it doesn't, it doesn't make us perfect. None of us are perfect, but it makes change possible. So Archbishop William Temple, as he was then, once said, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write, I could write plays like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, I could live a life like that. And that is the good news of the gospel. When we receive the gospel for ourselves, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and enables us to break the patterns of behavior that in and of ourselves we're unable to break. It enables us to live the life that God wants us to live and always intended us to live. So that's good news. And then the gospel rescues us from the power of the product of sin, death. We still have to die, of course we still have to die. But death no longer has the final say. So as Paul writes to the Christians at Corinth, he says, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? It's lost it. It's lost its sting. Because the Bible says that those who believe in Christ will be restored to life at the end and will be given resurrected bodies, like an old vehicle that was fit for the scrap heap and then has been lovingly and carefully restored to its original glory and beauty. So we too, who believe in Christ, will be lovingly and perfectly restored to our original intended beauty and glory. And even better, 
there'll be no more rust and decay. So that's good news. And then finally, the gospel rescues us from the power of sin's penalty. You know, England football fans have not had a lot to celebrate in recent years, have they? We, we keep on having to hark back to 1966, which now seems like ancient history to me, um, and, and the World Cup. But having said that, we probably still all remember this image of Bobby Moore receiving the trophy. What I doubt we remember is what happened immediately before and the image of Bobby Moore desperately wiping his hands on his shorts because he knew that any moment now he was going to have to shake the beautiful white glove of Her Majesty. And he was alarmed that he was going to make her beautiful white glove muddy. Well, if Bobby Moore could be anxious about dirtying the white glove of the Queen, then shouldn't we be a little bit concerned about when we come face to face with God himself, a holy God at the end of our days? We can't wipe ourselves clean any more than Bobby Moore could wipe the mud off his shorts. But, says Paul in verse 17, in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. So when we believe the good news and accept the good news, God graciously receives us and accepts us. So this good news is good news. It frees us from the threefold effects of our original mistake. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us, freeing us day by day from the power of sin's presence. We receive the promise of a resurrection which will free us from the ultimate product of sin, death. And we're invited to receive the righteousness of God, freeing us from the power of sin's penalty. So that's good news. That is good news. The gospel is good news because of its power. It's good news because of its purpose. And because we all like a bit of alliteration, me in particular, it's good news because of its people. Finally, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So the good news is good news because all people are invited to share in it. No one is excluded from this offer of rescue. In the uh, early days of the church, it was a bit controversial that Gentiles, that is people like you and me, by and large, I imagine in this building, people who aren't Jews, it was controversial that Gentiles should be accepted amongst the people of God. Some of the early Christian Jews said, you know, are you sure? Are you sure the Gentiles can be part of the community of God? And Paul said, absolutely sure. This gospel is for everyone. Well, that's not really our issue today, is it? But I wonder if in the back of our minds, subconsciously, there are certain categories of people that we might exclude from the good news of Jesus Christ. Really? For that person? Are you sure? There was um, a Christian believer in southern India. His name was Yesu. And his father was well known in the region for preaching the gospel and for leading uh, churches there. 
Now one day his father received a visitor who came and who asked him if he would pray with him. The father was delighted at this opportunity to pray with this man. And so he took him into a back room and he knelt down and he closed his eyes. At which point this man pulled a knife out of the folds of his garment and stabbed him repeatedly. And his son heard the screams and came running to find his dad in a critical condition. And three days later, his father passed away. But on his deathbed, this is what his father said to him, to his son. Please tell that man that he is forgiven. Care for your mother and carry on this ministry. Do whatever it takes to win people to Christ. Salvation for everyone. Even someone like that, even a murderer like that. And Paul would say, yes, absolutely. In fact, that man wasn't that far different from um, the Apostle Paul himself. He said, absolutely, when Stephen, one of the early Christian martyrs, was being stoned to death. He said, yeah, I totally agree with what's happening here. So Paul knew what it was like to approve, at the very least, of a murder. But he said, yeah, even for me, even for me, this gospel comes. It's from even for me. We sang this uh, hymn earlier, didn't we? Um, <clears throat> a great, fa- a great favourite that's been around with us for for many years now. To, for many years now, to God be the glory, great things He has done. And that phrase in one of the verses: "To every believer, the promise of God." That's that's at the heart of it. It's the believer, the one who believes. We'll come to that shortly. To every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. So in the scope of this hymn, as in the scope of Paul's words to the Romans, this offer is vast. No one is excluded from this offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. That word, everyone, is part of the reason behind our alternative gatherings because we don't just want to reach the people who will come into a church building, but we want to reach the people who won't come into a church building. It's part of the reason for the gathering at Bosom this morning. We don't just want to reach the people in our immediate area, we want to reach other people with the good news too. That word everyone is part of the reason we run Alpha courses. Because some people have serious questions about the Christian faith and they want to explore them for themselves. And we believe there are reasonable answers, so we give them the space to do that. This gospel is for everyone. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The only condition is belief, which means trust, a trust that results in some kind of action. <coughs> Let me illustrate what that means. So this, we've had a notice already about Uh, This event's coming up on Wednesday, this Learn A New Song event. Whether you like singing or not, my understanding is that there's going to be cake. And that probably, you know, is sufficient incentive for a number of us to come and uh, to be there this evening. But let's imagine that, uh, that evening, but let's imagine that at the end of this morning's service, I'm chatting to you and I say to you, 
Um, are you going on Wednesday? And you say, well, you know, I can't sing. It can't be for me. And I say, Sh- yeah, it is. It's, it's for everyone. Whether you can sing or not, it's for you. What? Yeah, even for you. It's for everyone. You say, okay, okay. So are you going to come yet? Yeah. Well, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come. And you get out your calendar or your diary or your electronic device or you write whatever you do to keep a track of appointments and you write it on your arm or do what you do and you tell your best friend or your spouse and you put all of those plans in place and come Wednesday night, 7.25pm, you've parked your car, you're ready to come in. It's not until you actually come into the building and sit down that you have exercised what the Bible would call biblical trust. Everything else is just a, a wonderful preamble to that important thing of actually taking the step across the threshold. And it's the same with Christian faith. I could have a conversation with you, with you out the door about believing in Jesus, and you could say, what, is it for me? You know, whatever your past, background, whatever. Absolutely, the gospel is for you. So I say, will you believe? You say, yeah, I'll do that. And you go home and you might make your plans. You think, yeah, I'm going to pray that prayer. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I do the other. But until you actually do it, until you actually take a step in response to what your head says is true, then it's not really biblical faith. It's just an academic belief. So what kind of things would would we be doing? How how do you start following Jesus? Well, there's no magic formula for this. Now, if you think about the thief on the cross, he just expressed a simple statement of trust in Jesus, and Jesus said, today today you'll be with me in paradise. That's all he had to do, that's all he could do. That's all he did, but he did it, and that was enough. But whatever you do, unless your belief is expressed in some way, then it can't really be biblical faith. So what does biblical faith look like? Well, here are some suggestions of what biblical faith looks like. So if you understand how gracious God has been towards you in rescuing you from sin and all its consequences, then wouldn't it naturally follow that you would be grateful? Wouldn't it naturally follow? There's a story in the New Testament um, where Jesus heals 10 lepers and they all run off, very pleased, and then one of them thinks, oh, hang on a minute, and he turns around and he goes back to Jesus and says, thank you. Jesus is pleased that he's come back and said, thank you. But what exercises Jesus' mind is, well, hang on a minute, there were 10, you're one, what's happened to the other nine? Weren't they healed as well? It's just, it's unnatural, isn't it, for People who are healed of a life, you know, a, a disease that's going to impact the li- their lives. Isn't it unnatural for them not to want to say thank you? Gratitude is an obvious outflowing of faith in God. <coughs> another thing is, another obvious response is humility. On one occasion, Jesus was teaching a parable and he held up as an example a man who... who who wouldn't even look up to heaven. He was so conscious of how far short he fell from God's standards. All he could do was look down to the ground and beat his breast and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus, in the parable, points to this man and says, this man went home right 
with God. This man went home right with God. And then this is what he adds. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So if you truly believe that God is willing to forgive you, then an obvious follow-on attitude is surely humility. Humility, thank you, Lord, that you in your greatness and holiness are willing to accept me with all of my mess and accept me as one of your sons or daughters. Gratitude, humility, and then priorities. So on another occasion, a rich young man approached Jesus and said, how do I get into heaven? And Jesus said, well, you probably know the commandments, don't you? And he started, you know, do this, do that, do the other. And the man said, yep, yep, so far, so good. Um, And Jesus saw through, saw through the man's words to his weak spot. And he said, look, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And that appears to have been just a little bit too much for the young man. We don't know the outcome of that story, but we're left with the impression that that was just a step too far for him. So I wonder if Jesus was having a conversation with us this morning, what would be the weak spot that he would point to? It would be different for each one of us. For some people it might be wealth. For someone else it might be health, or family, or career, or reputation, or something. But all of us have a weak spot or weak spots. And if God gently pointed out that weak spot to us, would that be the clincher? Would that be the thing that stopped us from following Jesus? Because that is more important to us. But if we understand how gracious God has been in giving us his son and in offering us salvation, then even though we might struggle to put it in practice, we'll say, okay, to the best of my ability and with your help, God, I will put you first before all of these other things. So gratitude, humility, priorities, and don't get me wrong, please don't think that By doing these things, we then become acceptable to God. These things don't save us. That verse again, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It is faith that saves us. It is faith that saves us, but it is If it's a genuine faith, it results in certain actions, some examples of which I've given there. Well, perhaps you're thinking, well, this this all sounds a bit bit difficult, especially that last bit, that priorities bit. You know, I don't know if I could do that. Um, I think we're right to feel that way. When the disciples first heard the Sermon on the Mount, I think they must have been terrified I would have been terrified. I still am terrified sometimes when I read it. The standard just seems so high. You know, Jesus talks about not, you know, turning the other cheek and not 
um, having lustful thoughts and about fasting, just an assumption that we fast and giving and praying and all sorts of other things. And it, you can look at those words, read that sermon and think, wow, that is totally beyond me. And that's probably how we should feel. But this is the point of the good news. If you go towards the end of that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. And in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Part of the, the, the good news deal is that even though we can't live up to the standards that God calls us to, with the Holy Spirit's help, we can. It will be a day-by-day thing. There's no overnight transition from you know, imperfect to perfect. But day by day, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can become the people that he wants us to be. So what about it? This last week, many people have received the good news of uh, the Noise Project in action. You know, they've, they've uh, seen their rubbish taken away for free. They've uh, eaten free burgers or a free cream tea. They've had free fun on the green. And as a church, we've been pleased to offer that for free. Even though it has been a cost to us in terms of time and money, we have been pleased to make that offer. And others have been pleased to receive it. That's the action bit of the good news. But what about the word bit? Have we received the word bit of the good news? Because God has been glad to offer this to us, but again, there was a price to pay. In this case, a huge price. The ultimate price, God gave his son for us so that we might receive this forgiveness. But now the offer is there. The offer is there. Will we accept this word of good news just as easily as we would accept the action of good news that we've seen in so many different ways this coming week? It's a wonderful offer. I pray that if we haven't received it already, we'll receive it today. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. If you're one of these people that thinks, okay, I'll have a think about it, Well, that may be right for you. Maybe there's some issues you need to to think through first. But often that's just stalling tactics. Often what we need to do is to take that step and say, okay, I'll work out all the details later, but I'm going to receive that offer. I'm going to say thank you to God. Thank you for his gracious offer. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit in to help me to live the kind of life that he wants me to live. That's, what, that's what's on offer today. It's always been on offer, um, but that's the message that I wanted to share with you this morning. It's been great to share the good news in action, but there's a good news in word too, and it's available to every one of us. Amen.